A couple of weeks ago, we talked with Dr. Delon Canterbury about overmedication in seniors. This was a really popular episode and really struck a chord with people. It's something we've personally experienced with our own clients at Clear Path, and we were so honored to be able to do that episode. I was also really taken by Dr. Delon's personal story, so I asked him to come back on the show. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today, Dr. Delon is sharing the story of his grandmother, who was over-medicated in a care setting, causing a very difficult journey for her and their entire family. So join us as Dr. Delon shares the inspiration for his company, Geriatrics, his grandma, Mildred. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. You're listening to our doable tips, short answers to your questions. Don't see your question listed? Send us a note. Then don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an answer. A lot of why I'm here today actually began with uh, my grandma, Mildred. She she essentially was who I had in mind when I developed geriatrics and really talking about de-prescribing in uh, particularly our dementia patients, but in, in our seniors in general. So with my grandma, she, she lived to see 90 years old, God bless, which is, you know, a very full life. And, you know, she had about 11 kids, 11 kids in Guyana and South America. And wow. that was kind of the norm <laughs> there was to just <laughs> have a bunch of kids and just move on with the legacy of raising a family. And, and hope that all those kids, someone's going to take care of you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. One of them, one of them's going to pull through. <laughs> that, that one who did was my mom. So my mom was to pull mm. through. And essentially, as she started having some behavior changes while she was in New York, you know, we had to worry about coordination of care and getting power of attorney, et cetera. And my uncle at the time was charge. But really, the, the ugly side of the story was when her, her conditions worsened while she was in that nursing home, right? Like she started having more of those symptoms of irritability. He was lethargic. She was just really confused. She really didn't know who was talking to her most of the time. And, you know, no one wants to ever see that, but we had to agree that she needed some type of help. And so they put her in a nursing home. So at the time, was she diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's? No, she wasn't diagnosed with anything. She had some mild dementia, which was noticeable, but no diagnosis. They didn't have really a diagnosis for anything for her. Maybe the dementia, but ultimately it wasn't really well managed, you know? It wasn't well managed at all. So that's where the the ugly side of it comes. And really she, you know, she was a pretty, she's a pretty smart, snazzy woman. She's really well well put together, uh, super, super smart. But just seeing those changes in her in that home just worsened everything and it was a bit heartbreaking I think I was maybe my second year no I was like a third or fourth year college student applying to pharmacy school so I wasn't even you know like a pharmacist yet per se I was kind of 
I was clueless, you know, to the meds. I just knew that my grandma was back at home. And so as her symptoms declined in this nursing home, the provider there wrote a prescription to try to treat some of her, I guess, dementia behavioral symptoms associated with her decline. That's some of her moodiness, you know, maybe she would sometimes be, she'd be fearful that nurses were stealing her stuff or uh, essentially would feel as if she wasn't being listened to and that they're trying to hurt her in some way. So it was always tough on her. And so the providers decided to give her a prescription for a med that we thought was, you know, completely unnecessary. And so what was legally done with, I guess, good intentions really to control her actually led to her significant decline in her care. So her behaviors, her angry, her irritability, her confusion, all worsened while she was on this antipsychotic, which was Zeprazidone or Geodon. So you don't really see it as much anymore, but antipsychotics, unfortunately, are used frequently in these nursing homes and long-term care facilities. And usually it's inappropriate when they're being used. So that was the kicker in my journey in starting geriatrics, you know, later down the road. But my grandma, unfortunately, got so bad with her symptoms that they could not manage her care. They decided to, unfortunately, kick her out. They, they just didn't want to deal with her. And she no longer was allowed to stay in that nursing home, sadly. So this is where my parents had to move her from New York back to our family home in Atlanta. So that was a bit taxing on them, as you can imagine, as two full-time parents, two caregivers, two full-time jobs, and essentially now having to re-raise my mom's mom. So that's, that's never easy. Yeah. The thing that came to my mind as you're talking about being kicked out of a skilled nursing facility is that a skilled nursing facility is like the highest level of care outside of a hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I can't even imagine what that was like for you guys. Mm -hmm. Like what, what was that initial thought? Definitely a lot of panic and anger and frustration. And, you know, here we are trying to navigate this system and we're paying you to take care of or trusting you, you know, more importantly, we're paying you and trusting you to have the best intentions, you know, enacted for her and for Mildred. And it's kind of heartbreaking seeing that that's uncontrollable when you're in a setting that's kind of designed to control that. So that was a bummer. Uh, but to say the least, it was, it was frustrating. It was, it was damn frustrating to see my parents go through this and now I have to figure out, you know, how are we going to get a caregiver? How are we going to get, you know, Medicare to pay for someone to come and, and visit her at home? Your mom initially brought her back to their home? Absolutely. Absolutely. At, while she was a teacher full time in Atlanta public schools. And while my dad was a full time business owner as well with his accounting business. So. You know, luckily he did that because he would he had the flexibility to tend to her as needed, but we still had to get some type of home health aid in the beginning before eventually transitioning her into a small setting uh, nursing home to assist with that. So again, very taxing on the family. So she was in that skilled nursing environment and they made that med change to the antipsychotic. And then... Mm -hmm. 
caused these issues and mm-hmm. they were like, we can't handle this. And then now you, now you've got her at home. Yeah. At what point did someone take a look at that medication and what were her behaviors? My grandma was pretty notorious for having symptoms very similar to what's seen in Parkinson's with sundowning. Essentially around three or four, you become just very agitated, confused, it's like your symptoms worsen. A full moon would always worsen her symptoms. That just was always the truth. And essentially, she was irritable, angry, and confused. The main one being confusion. Just didn't know who she was talking to. She would think she was talking to, you know, one of her other 11 kids she once had or or dead kids or, again, didn't have the time and spatial awareness. And so she was wandering out of our house and at home. She would wander out, ring the doorbell. She was found in the street one time. All in all, that burned my parents out. And so they they had to find some extra help. But honestly, they didn't have anyone to put the medications until about four or five months of suffering. And that was upon a refill where they started telling the pharmacist, look, we're having issues at home. This isn't working for her. And that was when that shout out to that community pharmacist who took the time and, and found that this was an issue with that medication and advocated for us and was able to call and try to battle and get that medication stopped, which took about you know a week or two. But in those week or two, you know, if it wasn't for that pharmacist, you know, I don't think my grandma would have lived to see 90, you know, she was still chronically confused and, and irritable. And we were able to get her to paper it off with that med you know, after about two weeks. And then she essentially got back to her normal self, you know, like somehow confusion, but it was definitely way more clear. And she was able to have a conversation, knew who she was talking to. And it was night and day. It was simply night and day. And it was a breath of relief for my family. Wow. I I think it's so mind blowing. And I think there are probably going to be some of our listeners that are going to relate to this and, and maybe are even going through this right now. But it is so mind blowing that someone can be in a protected environment, like a skilled nursing facility, which has doctors and nurses, you know, Mm -hmm. that are in that environment and that someone could prescribe a medication and not realize in that protected environment that the medication was the issue. Right. I know that's why you do what you do now, but it just, it just is kind of scary mm-hmm. to think that you think you're in, you've got your loved one in a protected environment. Like you were saying, yeah. you're supposed to take care of yeah. my grandma. Like you're supposed to be the one and then they're not the one. Yeah. Not- and I, and I think that's so mind blowing when now did the, did the medication, was that changed before the move to Atlanta? No. It, I mean, honestly, it took the move to Atlanta. It took my parents having to live with her and it took, Really, that pharmacist and my really my mom begging the pharmacist to just see what is going on with her. Like, is anything wrong? Like, what what can you do? And it was her instinct to advocate that led to the medication change. The pharmacist that had already refilled it about two or three times at this point. What was it like moving someone who is now on an antipsychotic, which is mm-hmm. causing all of these issues? How, what did that move look like from New York to Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah. Super stressful, super stressful, you know, moving someone out of their comfort zone, their environment, all unfortunately for their betterment, but really they were not in the headspace to know. They're just like, 
more angry and more irritated. So I think my mom took a lot of biting the bullet on that because she's doing things and then feeling like she's not being appreciated for this. It was hell. Was it a plane ride or a car ride? Oh, no. Uh, we, I, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we drove her. Um, so I'm, if anything, I know my dad would have done the driving and he would have gone up there and, and, and taken her down and gotten her stuff and moved her in. From there, I think my mom had to kind of face some of her, her traumas, you know, like that kind of resurfaced in, indirectly from my grandma just not being aware of what she's saying. So I think there were a lot of steps, a lot of steps to, to, to overcome, uh, but it was difficult. It was difficult. Even in our home, she wasn't necessarily comfortable, you know, she still felt like she was under attack or someone was trying to steal her stuff and she was in a nursing home still. So she would still act as if she had to be on guard. I mean, she's hit her dentures twice and they got, those are expensive. She hit her glasses a couple of times or lost them and getting those remade again is a cost uh, prohibitive. Uh, my sister who helped out more because she was, she was more around since I was in college. She was uh, around to help out a bit more than I could. And how long did, did you say it was four months that, yeah. that your grandma lived with your parents? Yeah, it was about four months of the nightmares. And then they finally got the meds stopped and she did better while she was in her nursing home. In fact, it got better. And this is a nursing home in Atlanta. It got better to the point where she actually wanted to go back to New York. And eventually she did go back to New York. Really? Yeah. She found another home that took her in and essentially aged gracefully there uh, until she passed away a month after her 90th birthday to the, to the T. Wow. So she actually died my very last day of pharmacy school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I was grateful to see her the month before to celebrate her 90th birthday. I think she spiritually held on to see everyone and you know it was a great birthday she remembered everyone she was sharp she was witty and yeah she she passed peacefully in her sleep a month later and i love how you dedicate what you do now to your mm -hmm. grandmother and so that's really that's kind of cool that she passed on that last day of mm -hmm. school for you that's really cool yeah yeah you can't really forget that and Unfortunately, I, I mean, again, my very first patient was very similar to her case, over-medicated, 36 meds. She was on an inappropriate antipsychotic. It was Seroquel for her or Ketiapine, and it caused her same confusion, much more confusion. But in fact, it was a bit worse in that she was so sedated, she just didn't really have a life, you know? She was just kind of in the room drooling away. That's the person I'm speaking of when I mean we need to leverage pharmacists to advocate for our patients and we need to use a more integrative approach to medication management. And I think de-prescribing is what needs to be required in our schooling and in these nursing homes. Not just one pharmacist who's looking at a long-term care facility and they have to look at 200 beds and do a review. I mean a systems-wide change to reducing these harms with a team, with an interdisciplinary team that looks at this because everyone has a role in deep prescribing, not just the doctor, not just the pharmacist, but everyone who's touching that patient. 
Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this in your other episode where we talk specifically about over-medication and it it just, it's so many things, right? It's being understaffed. It's not being able, like you're saying, to physically take the time that's necessary for for each patient. It, It just is, it's just crazy to me that all of these things are happening. And I can't even imagine what your mom and dad went through. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't either. I can't either. Um, Raising kids, having a business, having to respond to emergencies at the drop of a dime, which happened frequently. It's super hard. It's super hard. And so I saw the struggle they had. You know, I felt powerless at the time because I wasn't quite a pharmacist and didn't really know what to say or advocate for. But I knew that this could not be the healthcare system that we as Americans are paying for. This is what our taxes are going towards, like literally sick care. And that's problematic. It's problematic and it's morally and ethically compromising as a health professional to no other health professionals who have the same stories day in, day out. It's the same stories. And they can't even navigate it either. So it's just... It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this expensive. And I think there just needs to be funding that goes towards policy change, one, and reimbursement rates and whatnot. But we got to change the way this healthcare system delivers care. And we know it's killing us. And hopefully after hearing your story with your grandmother and you know the upper, other episode that we did, hopefully it also gives families more of a feeling of empowerment because you know, what happened with your mom at the pharmacy where she was finally, finally, right after months got to the point to say, this isn't right. And hopefully after listening to your story, it can help families to have that conversation before four months of craziness and, you know, horrible situations where they feel like they actually have a right to say something is wrong because your mom and your dad at that point of living with your grandmother, they knew her better than any doctor Mm -hmm. because they were spending 24 seven with her. Oh yeah. And, and that's what I hope that families get out of this is, is to know that you do know, you know, your parents, if you're spending that much time with them Mm -hmm. and you know yourself Mm -hmm. better than anybody else too. Yeah. And so I, I really hope that families get that from what we're talking about. Did your mom or your dad or your sister ever confide in you? What were those conversations like? Because I imagine you must have felt the pressure. <laughs> like you're the one in pharmacy school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My parents never wanted their kids to worry about things. So they would talk about it, but um, they weren't necessarily asking me for like clinical advice. They were still trying to manage it on their own. My sister definitely told me more when she was involved and stayed over a couple breaks and was helping mommy and granny around the house with what was going on, cleaning her, keeping her company, playing with her. And she felt it too. And it was just maybe for a couple of days, but she she definitely felt that stress, that, that kind of burnout associated with it and had to learn a new skill very quickly. You know, you don't just teach caregiving. I mean, you can, but you don't just know it until you experience it. I think they were more worried about not worrying their kids. And so I'm in the middle of school and I think a part of them didn't want to put that burden on me, but I know they suffered because they, they told me 
a lot after the fact because you know it was it's hard making that adaption and managing care in a system that you never had to navigate like that yeah that's that is interesting i what you said about caregiving because i just can't imagine being thrown into that situation and yeah i mean you're what i guess googling <laughs> you're I'm like sure. you know and then and then you add behaviors on top of that which are often refusing care. Is that something that your grandma did too? She, yeah, she refused a lot of things. Yeah, she didn't even want certain people entering her room you know, because she thought you were a threat. So definitely probably along, along the lines of some hygiene, maybe not taking some of her pills, which probably would have been good in this situation. Those two are the main ones. She didn't really eat well because she's craving. And so you want to cook food that she's accustomed to, a Caribbean food. And if you haven't noticed, a lot of the nursing home foods, if you're not paying high-end, it's pretty bland and not very nutritious. They actually have really low budgets for nutrition in these homes. So you're getting a bunch of canned, really not good stuff. So not only are we Caribbean and Black, <laughs> we got to have some flavor in our food. And if it's even if it's healthy, you know, it's still flavored. So she, she just would not eat most of those types of foods unless it's familiar to her. So that's, that's another learning piece as well. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of gems from this. And I, I know which I was more involved in the care, you know, I, I had to learn secondhand and experience that pain. And, you know, it changed my philosophy around senior care and really the lack of advocacy that I think is missing. And that's why I have to tell and teach clinicians and other people how they can use deep prescribing, how they can educate, how they can potentially leverage their senior care organization, whether it's a nursing home or daycare center to provide this service because it, it shouldn't just be a pharmacist. I think we're important in this process, but we need everyone on board. We need everyone trained on board and willing to look at ways to stop this and see it as a team-based effort. I absolutely agree. So Delon, what would be your number one doable tip for families, just based on your experience with your grandma? Ask for help, man. My parents were, were tough cookies and they run a lot of the work on themselves. So I, I feel it could have been easier had they had some more caregiver support groups, interactions, or knowing who was in their backyard who could be there, you know, maybe getting involved with an elder care attorney. I will say if you're worried about affairs, try to get things planned wills, advanced directives, try to get those things done sooner than later if you start seeing your loved one decline. So you're not wondering what granny wants when she, when things worsen or you're fighting family members for things you don't want to fight about at the worst time. So I just say ask for help, lean on those resources. There are some amazing Facebook communities that have caregiver support. People, of course, like you, Valerie, who do this. Just don't be afraid and be sure to prioritize your mental health as a caregiver before your loved one. Because, I mean, you can't take care of someone if you're pouring from an empty cup. This week's episode is brought to you by Geriatrics, a pharmacist-led medication management company helping caregivers to stop their loved ones from being over-medicated through genetic testing, de-prescribing, and health cost-saving strategies. Geriatrics, your trusted consultant pharmacist. Find more information in today's show notes. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes 
for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable. Thank you.